Hey, you're listening to Runelanders. This is Rapscallions. If you're just joining us, welcome aboard. And if you've been listening, welcome back. My name's Adam. I'm the DM and creator of these Runelands here. And with me today to do the credits is our good friend, Shauna, player of Magma. How are you doing, Shauna? Hey, not too bad, Adam. Thanks very much for the shout. No worries. Speaking of those, people been, uh, anybody been, since I put that on you, has anybody uh, said anything that you've noticed about the show? As a matter of fact, I happened to um, place a couple of photos up on Instagram while we were doing some recording earlier. And on Instagram, Nicholas Tatum said, is it on Spotify? Because if so, it's awesome so far with a little heart emoji. I did a little bit of more prompting with him, and he said that he enjoyed episode five the most. Love the idea of a department of sanitation and health operated by Ghostwise Halflings. Also, the silver lined door was a neat trap design for were rats. Very cool. You know, it's funny because um, on Twitter this morning, um, my mutual, well, my mutual contact, NorCal Mythos, um, who does a lot of really good gaming and has actually uh, just put out a wicked Kickstarter for this new system called Carbine Jungle. Um, check it out because it looks rad. If D&D isn't your only thing, definitely it's something to look after. Um, I'm not going to do a whole review or anything right here in the credits. People want to get on with the show. But uh, yeah, NorCal Mythos reached, reached out to me this morning on Twitter and said that they had also been listening and we're on episode five and they liked it so far, right? So episode five, I guess, seems to be our high watermark. I don't know. Maybe people just haven't broken into the second half of the season yet. Well, you know, I think at some point in time, they're eventually going to get there and they're going to love what we've got. Well, yeah. And I like big shouts to the people who have been listening and got through the, uh, you know, and got through the, horrible first episode we had a lot to learn when we started but it's coming along so thanks for sticking it out with us we really appreciate it we uh we had a couple other reviews too like um over on apple podcast we had an anonymous review that said uh, a great new DD actual play podcast with an emphasis on story the game is set in a wonderful post-industrial fantasy world that really grabbed me first few episodes of season one are a little rough but the quality picks up much faster than most actual plays. We, uh, we will admit to that. Uh, thanks for the review, but like we thank you by name, but you didn't leave us one. Um, all the same, thanks, thanks a lot. Uh, we're always looking for ways to improve. So, um, you know, if you have, if anybody wants to put those out, they're more than welcome. Our second Apple Podcast review is from Mr. Faz, um, who said that I'm deeply enjoying this new podcast. The DM and cast are collaborating on a richly textured story. Uh, compelling and well-acted. Can't wait to see how it all unfolds. So that's, thank you very much, Mr. Faz, whoever you may be. I hope you're still listening and I hope you're still enjoying. Drop us a line at uh, runelanders at gmail.com. Let us know how we can get a hold of you. We'd, uh, we'd love to have you around and uh, chat with you. So by all means, reach out. Did you uh, did you get anything else at all, Shauna? 
not at this moment in time, uh, but I'm certainly more than happy to, to engage with folks if they've got questions, comments, queries, concerns. There's always, um, you know, our Twitter handles. So cast the runes on Twitter. Uh, my Instagram is ksilverfur, silverfur, the fur is spelled with two R's. More than happy, either hit me up on DMs, Twitters, um, Instagram. I'm more than happy to talk to people. I remember Kaylin. She was such a great character. We should talk about her at some other point in the future. Sounds good. Yeah, for sure. Well, anyway, um, let's get on with the enough of all this rambling and saying thanks. We got a recap today. So this episode, I should say going in, was the reason we switched to Craig. Um, we recorded before on another software platform that wasn't working as well as we'd wanted it to. So we had glitches and poor sound quality. Well, you heard all that. Um, we lost a bunch of the footage we recorded for episodes seven and eight, which is why Arabed is occasionally played by me and occasionally played by uh, Mr. Stokovaz, who, well, we give him full credit in the credits, but uh, he was unavailable for a lot of the re-recording sessions because, you know, wedding season and going back to work and stuff like that. Anyway, he returns in episode nine with all of his usual aplomb. Like he's he's in the rest of this episode and uh, it's pretty good. So um, last episode, why don't actually, you know what? I'm talking all over you, Sean. Do you, uh, do you have a recap you can do or? Well, this week in our recap, we start off with Ziva and Nari heading down to the brewery after... Calder and Magma are able to give them the necessary information as to where to find Molly Took. From there, both Arabet and Stitch happen to be sneaking around the back ways to see what they can't see and find what they can't find. After that, our scene pans over to supper over at Rapscallion's Manor, where all of the Rapscallions happen to be in one place at one time. And there's some interesting developments and some relationships unfolding. From there, of course, we spring the trap in regards to Mickey and see if we can't cut a deal with him as well. Back over to you, Adam. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Shana. Well, that's the recap. I'm Runewise. This is Rapscallions. Get ready, runatics. Let's roll. So, Nari, um, you go up the stairs and you head across 
the dining room, which is, you know, newly cleaned up and put away in expectation of your guests, towards the front door where you open the door. Yeah, I'm going to look out and see if I can, like, where where are the workmen? Do I see them? The rest of the uh, crew delivering the kegs? You see a couple of figures milling about the wagon. However, as you're looking out towards the wagon, you are shot twice in the back. It sends you tumbling forward. And when we played this scene the first time, you fumbled at this point, right? Yeah, that's right. Okay, so uh, these two shots hit you high in the middle of your back. Thank the runes that you had bought this special jacket with adamantine threads woven in so as to make it at least, you know, bolt-proof. Well worth the added expense, even if it is now ruined. Uh, The bolts send you tumbling forward for 10 hit points of damage, if I recall correctly. Um, However, when they send you spinning, your glasses fly off somewhere into the middle of the path. And when you roll to your feet and turn to face your attacker, you can't see hardly anything. So you drop your hands and knees and pat around on the floor for a minute, like looking for your glasses. And Arabet, that's when you come across the dining room and see Nari get pegged twice in the back with crossbow bolts. I whirl and check the stairs. You can't see anything, but you can hear footsteps on the floor above. I move carefully to the door and check on uh, Nari. Peeking out the door, you can see that Nari is fumbling around on his hands and feet. So um, I would assume that being who you are, Arabet, you've drawn your bolt casters? Yep, both bolt casters out in each hand. Nari, once you find your glasses and get them back on, you see Arabet standing in the doorway with his back to you, facing up the stairs with his bolt casters drawn. You okay? I will be. I'm going to get up and sort of like get up, get to the doorway. I take a glance back at the wagon. What's happening with the, the people there? Are they still milling about? Okay. When you, like, you, you both kind of put your back on either side of the door at this point, because you know there's somebody upstairs with a crossbow. And uh, just happen to, like, you can look out at the wagon because that's the way you're facing anyway. There are no more halflings around the wagon. Meanwhile, around the side, there's a small window at the back, which, uh, we see a rat scuttle over to, and then the window opens, and then the window closes. We cut to the roof, where a rat scuttles from the post along the wire, like along the main wire down the street, to the wire over to Rapscallion's Manor, and in through an open window upstairs. Those buggers are fast. There are no more halflings around, although the wagon is still there. Um, you can hear feet running around upstairs. Okay, Arabet. This is uh, this is your kind of game more than mine. What's uh, what's our move? We get you downstairs safe. I don't think we can leave these guys running around in the upstairs. I'm not as helpless as you might think. I just uh... well, then we take the bottom of the stairs and we see what happens. All right, we uh, go on three. So you mean one, right? I'll just shrug and you count. <laughs> So go on one, three, All right. two, one. Arabet pours in the door first with his bolt casters drawn. Nari, you follow him with your with the front part of your coat, which is still at least a little bit bolt-proof, buttoned up, and obscene legalese dripping off of your tongue, which becomes friggin' little light sparks between your perfectly manicured nails. And the two of you 
go up the stairs together. Arabet, you reach the landing at the top of the stairs, and uh, there's just the big open area to where the stairs curve up or curl up to the third floor and the four bedrooms. Christ, there's a lot of upstairs. Should we cover, uh, cover behind us? I've got a trick or two. I'm covering. Okay, and I'll spread some uh, silver caltrops along the top step behind nicely us. Done. Nicely done. This shot is from the bottom of the stairs as Nary dumps a bag of, you know, these silver caltrops and, you know, other foots or devices uh, all down the carpeted stairs. And they kind of tumble in slow motion and just coat the whole length of the stairs. All right, now we only have to worry about them coming from one direction. All right, so Arabet, you uh, like you, you have your choice of four bedrooms and the bathroom on this floor. I'll check the bathroom first. Okay, so you you uh, slide you, you glide across like now you're standing on the landing at the top of the stairs. Arabet runs over like strides purposefully open to the door. How are you opening the door with your hand or your foot? Oh, with my foot, and I'm not in the doorway. <laughs> Kicks the door open, stands right beside it, waits a couple of seconds, and then you know covers the room with his twin bolt casters, goes in the room, appears to be clean. The uh, bathtub is put away, but it's still wet from Magnus' bath this morning. I come out equally carefully. All right, Nari, what are you doing while Arabic goes and checks out the can? Um, I'm inching along the hallway back to the wall and just sort of keeping an eye on his back and uh, check, keeping an eye on the other doors. Just, yeah, just the rear guard, the, uh, the eyes back at the, at the back. All right, then uh, I need you both to roll perception with advantage. Natural 20. Nice. Except for the natural one. <laughs> yes, it does. On advantage, I get uh, 18. All right, well, then you both see the same flicker of motion. Um, dart from the third bedroom toward the staircase going up. Do I have time to set off a spell? Absolutely. Okay, I think... If I want to hurt him, it's Eldritch Blast. But if I want to keep him from getting away, then it's Thorn Whip. Drag him ten feet closer. Sure. Um, yeah, I'll go with uh, Thorn Whip, and if I can time it so he's going, he's partway up the stairs, so I drag him downstairs, that would be fantastic. But okay, can't uh, can't win them all. So you spot him. You see him. You see him dash, and uh, before Arabet, like Arabet, you bring your bolt casters up to put a couple of bolts into him and that's when Nari just stands aside says this thing that sounds like somebody tearing meat and then uh, like reaches out and there's this beautiful but ungodly cascade of vines that just pours out of the end of Nari's sleeve you know and entangles this entangles this, this wear rat um, on all four limbs right it's just like this big long come over here type of attack and he like snaps out with these thorns and they just wrap this wear rat up and then Nari just hauls him back off his feet pulls him 10 feet back towards him you get an attack with advantage now 24 to hit you want to make that a snake oh yeah yeah he's not he's not expecting me well that hits him for sure now roll your bolt caster damage because it's one shot right um but also your sneak attack damage because you can do it with a range weapon. 18 points of damage. And what kind of uh, bolt are you you're using? A, a bolt used sharper with a silvering stone? Oh yeah, all my stuff is silvered right now. Okay, so that damage takes. Whack! You nail him. You nail him a good one. Like you do shoot him in the. Uh, like Aznari grabbed his torso and hauled him back. You put a bolt right through his knee. 
Not bad. I was going for center and mass, but not bad. You didn't lead them enough. I wasn't expecting 10 feet of vines to come out. Anyway, the vines kind of fade uh, and just like they, they drop out of Nari's sleeve and then wither away to dust, which is kind of glittery for a second and then just sinks into the carpet and is gone. And there's, uh, this were-rat is kind of standing there, is kind of laying there on the floor um, at Nari's feet, clutching on his knee. And there's another skitter of motion from behind you. I uh, duck and roll. You duck and roll? Nari, what are you doing? Um, yeah, just uh, turn around and see what, like, uh, if I can get a spell ready to, hand, like, smack him, and I will. Okay, um, let's roll initiative. <laughs> You're gonna hate me. It's another natural 20. And I got Beautiful. a plus four. Beautiful. Beautiful. And I have a not natural 20. So, for argument's sake, let's just say you both go at the same time. Nobody's not ahead of you. Nobody's ahead of you, and I like the synergy of you two working as a team so far. So, Nari's, uh, N- Nari is standing there over this bleeding were-rat with sorcery crackling out of his, crackling between his fingers and, you know, his hair all pushed, all pushed out from the force of magic around him. You know, um, his fey aspect is really sharp now. Like, you know, when Ziva puts her hair back and uh, takes away all the distraction how elvish she looks, Nari looks super elvish right now. For the, the for the reason that he's using his pack powers, right? Everything just seems a little more vivid right now. His coat, his beautiful coat, which like is like this long, you know, shin-length thing that was uh, this well, like purple velvet or something, right, Nari? Oh yeah. With adamantine threads woven through it, and it's like it's got a couple holes in it now, but it saved his life. And uh, you know, all the embroidery, the cuffs and stuff, and like all just the the, this glittering magic dripping out of the cuffs of his coat um, and then Arabet, you know stalking across the room with his bolt casters out you both see the same flicker of motion so you go at the same time what do you do gentlemen? I get out of uh, Nari's way <laughs> and uh, duck and roll and I put, try to put a bolt in the one that's behind him now well, I guess okay. I'll use both barrels to the new guy alright thorn whip again or Oh, no, I'm giving him the two Eldritch Blasts I can throw. Oh, nice. Okay, so you're going to roll and take a shot with your crossbow? Or, sorry, with your bolt caster? Yeah, at the guy who's already down. Are you a crossbow expert? I think you are. Let's say I am. I can't find it. All right, well, if you're not, you are now. We'll switch it around. But uh, that just means you get an extra attack. So roll your attacks, gents. Okay, I got a 12... And a 23. And I got a natural 20 and a 26. Okay. Um, very good. Roll your damage, please, Chris. And then I'm just going to roll a quick couple of saves here. Very good. So that's uh, 19 points of damage. Okay, so your first bolt uh, hits this way. Like, like just smashes into the wooden trim of the door right in front of this wear rat, which like brings them up short. And he spins around, and your second bolt clobbers him in the shoulder from, like, high from behind. That spins him around, you know. Um, did you total your damage for both attacks, or...? Uh, yes. Okay. Because it is possible that your bonus attack with your crossbow expert can also be a sneak attack ra- every round, right? Every round? Oh, Every okay. round, yeah. I, I, as long as 
uh, somebody is paying attention to, as long as the enemy is paying attention to somebody besides you that you're within range of, right? Hammer and anvil. So that's an extra 11 points of damage. Yeah. So bam, bam. So you, you kind of bounce him between these two bolts. He uh, rolls, gets up, but for a moment, he's front on to Nari. So um, your first shot, Nari, misses him because you were aiming where he was when Arabet shot him, but your second one doesn't miss at all. How much damage was your second one? Your natural 20? Oh, it wasn't a natural 20. It was oh, sorry. No, it was, yeah, it was uh, like an eight, a 15, but plus seven. So 20, yeah. Right, sorry, you're, you're 23. Um, yeah, right. So you, anyway, your 23 does hit. So what? how much was your damage? That was the one. I rolled a one there. All right. Well, you uh, unfortunately you put all your oomph into the uh, into the first blast. Um, where that first blast landed was low and on the panels of one of the doors, an arabet. You just see it kind of wizen and age the uh, the wood, which kind of cracks and the the varnish all flakes off, right? And you know, just gets all rough. And uh, the second one just clips the were rat in the end of his tail. But he's still stumbling along. He's trying to get away, so he's not going to attack. Roll again. Uh, what's sorry? There, so there's one guy still trying to get away. The other guy's down. Eh? The other guy's shot in the knee, and he's a couple of steps behind you at this point. Well, if we've got another guy running away, I think it's time for another thorn whip. Got to roll to hit for that, though. Yep. Seventeen. That'll get him. Doesn't do any damage though. It eh? just sort of pulls him up, pulls him back. Right. So you grab him and. Haul him over 10 feet, and I bet you get another two shots. So I roll a 25 uh, total and an 18 total. 25 for your first shot? Hits. That's correct. 18 for your second shot? Hits. What's your first shot do for damage? First shot does 18 points of damage, including sneak attack. Okay, what's your second shot do? Only your second shot can, only one of those shots can be a sneak attack. So you have to specify whether it's your first one or your second one. Well, it's the first one. I, w- I would rather. I, thought, it would it, I your- thought it was always the first one. Yeah, no, I would rather it was your second attack every round because uh, the way that crossbow the way that crossbow expert works is you get a bonus action to use as an attack with a crossbow in your offhand, right? So your main attack okay. is the your main attack is your main attack. It's the one you put uh, everything into, but uh, your I would I would think the offhand attack. Um, anyway, your offhand your your bonus attack should do like the most damage it's your like surprise fuck you shot right like i'm gonna leave i'm gonna make you duck with my left with my right gun and shoot you with my left one you know what i mean okay just a thought okay we'll do that like that i like it i I just think it works better that way if we if you don't agree we'll talk about it when we're not recording yeah yeah no problem so uh the first uh roll i uh got uh, five and plus four is uh, damage is nine damage, and then the second roll I got um, seventeen plus four is twenty one damage. Okay, so the uh, first one, you know, again you shoot this one in the knee, but uh, you were gonna go for a double knee thing, and uh, instead, I don't know, your, your your left gun got or your left caster got cocked a bit but it catches him high behind the ear and shuts him right off you've still got one though right how close is he to the stairs leading down the one you just shot uh, the, the one that's still alive the one that's like behind us oh which rat was that again there's a crossbow bolt that's all bloody 
damn, they're fast. All right, well, up the stairs, because we know he didn't go down. We'd have heard that. Well, that all depends. Roll perception, both of you. Uh, 18. 10. All right, so, Arabet, you're going to, you're about ready to go running up the stairs, and you're about halfway around the first, and you're about halfway up to the, halfway up the staircase when Nari notices that there's no blood on the staircase. But there is a trail, a little ratty trail leading down. All right. Yeah, downstairs. I think he's. Uh, I think he's gone down, down along the, the, down to the main level. Sneaky bastards. From downstairs, you hear a loud gong, as of somebody hitting something with a pan. Bunch of swearing. Well there's, well, there's something going on down there. Who's in the kitchen? I don't know. I think we should form up and head, check it out. I hear music coming through the kitchen door. I hear Dino washing china, but I never heard the song before. Someone's in the kitchen with Dinah. Someone's in the kitchen, I know. Someone's in the kitchen with Dinah. Strumming on the old banjo. Dinah didn't make no pudding. Didn't make the apple pie. Cause she's pitching in the kitchen with the apple of her eye. Someone's in the kitchen. All right, Magma. So, with commotion upstairs... You go up to get Mickey a bowl of borscht, as promised. Nari makes a beeline for the door, and you part ways uh, from the back stairs, where you it goes down to the basement off the main parlor and dining room combination. You get into the kitchen and turn on the lights and are somewhat surprised to see two weir rats standing on the counter Sampling the borscht. They're in were-at form. Roll initiative. That would be an 11. Okay. You and the first were-at go simultaneously. This were-at looks at you. You look at it. It drops the ladle that it was sipping the borscht with, reaches over to the butcher block, and hauls out a santoku-shaped knife. Um then launches itself across the kitchen at you in a great big leap. That's going to eat up all of its actions and movement this round. Okay, well, it's coming at me with a knife. I would like to disarm it. Um, like, either try and kick the knife or swipe the knife out of its hand while it's leaping at me. Um, and I will be deliberately not not trying to hit it. Effectively, I'll be doing patient defense for the most for the most. So patient defense gives me disadvantage. Um, all right, so you fall back into your defense. The second wear rat is a little bit slower, slides off the counter, and uh, also rushes towards you with a low tackle towards your knees. So. Your response to this is? Well, he's going for the knees, so I am just going to quickly lift up one of my legs, sweep it sort of over his head, and make sure that I can put my foot down on something that is not were-rat shaped. Okay. Um, he goes diving for your knees. You pick your foot up and rotate out of the way. Um, as the one leaping across the kitchen from you takes a swipe with the knife and goes wide. 
you drop back into Flame Abides and Lantern Stance. She kind of sighs very heavily at the two of them and says, You know, I was just coming up here to get some borscht for Mickey. You're welcome to join us if you want. And uh, I will still continue to maintain patient defense and make sure if any of the two of them come at me, it'll be just, you know, soft, soft kitty, warm kitty paws kind of thing to, you know, redirect a lot of the attacks and not actually hurt them. Well, they both rush you at once and they both tackle you around the waist, push you back up against the wall and a whole rack of pans like just just, uh, gets cleared out and they're like punching at your sides and you're like not really letting them get anything in and reach underneath and like I said, they're in wear rat form. So you you just kind of wedge your one hand in where the one has its head rammed up against your side. Just kind of stick it in there and grab a whole handful of beer and twist so this rat goes, ow, 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 You kind of twist it off and throw it up against the cold box while you just chuck the other one off. you like mud on your dress. <laughs> like a little rag doll. That's right. You just kind of shuck the other one off underneath the table. It stands up, and now as it stands up, you see it's a girl, and as she stands up, as she stands up, she flips the table over, um, and she takes another run at you. So you kind of step around to the side and give her a bit of a chop in the back of the head, and she goes just like flat top of her head into the cool box, and you know lands on her face, but bounces up again. Uh, the guy who had the the, the guy with the knife. Uh, takes another swipe at you, but you kind of wheel out of the way of that and step on his wrist and pin it to the floor so the knife goes spitting off. Um, but he pulls his wrist out and rolls away and then, like, stands up with his dukes up. She sort of looks at him, smiles, and goes, Oh, honey, are you sure you really want to do? And that's when you duck because the girl has leapt off the counter with a pan and she's going to brain you so when you slip that one she brings the pan down right into the center of her boyfriend's face and just clobbers him right down like he stiffens out like a cartoon cat and goes end over end with this right but still like pushes himself up onto his up onto his hands and knees when he's done rolling and like takes his muzzle and sets it over and uh, with, with a sickening crack and then shakes it off and they both kind of crouch down in front of you. Has she gotten anywhere closer to the soup pot? Um, it's behind you now. You're between them and the soup pot, yeah. All right. She basically, while still keeping an eye on them, reaches very slowly for a soup bowl, grabs it, Switches it to her other hand, dumps it into the borscht to get a good hearty helping of it, still holding the bowl, still looking at the two of them, goes, Again, I came up here to get some borscht for Mickey. You're welcome to join us. So the boy's like, I, 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 I kind of want some. I, I kind of have some of that. Uh, yeah, yeah. We, 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 the girl's like, Shut up, we're not here to have lunch. And that's when she like, she's got a chair leg from like all of the, all of the kitchen furniture is smashed after this melee. She grabs a chair leg and comes running at you with it, um, swinging wildly to which you kind of just put the sole of your foot out and st- 
stop the blow and then take that same foot and pin her face up against the oven without spilling a drop of the soup, which you then turn around, hand to her partner, who just takes the soup, because here, a bowl of soup, and then uh, you spin around and just backfist this headstrong girl rat one right in the air, knock her down. Now you've got her foot on her chest. And he's like, looking at the soup and looks at you and then looks at her and then looks at the soup and looks like he's going to square his shoulders and then decides to take a sip of the soup instead. She goes, I do hope that you enjoy that as she again sort of removes her foot slowly from the girl rat, watching the two of them grabs another bowl, switches hands with it, dips it into the borscht, looks at the rat like the girl rat, questioningly extends the other soup bowl that is now full of borscht. Okay. She she looks at it and sniffs it suspiciously. And you notice um, just incidentally that li- now it's it's lying on the uh, uh, it's lying on the stove. The the stove the stove is cooling off. The borscht is still warm. Plus one silver soup ladle. Just in case you needed it, it was there. Everybody downstairs, um, Caldor has just shut the electricity off to the cage and uh, you're fishing Buddy out, who is still flat-assed unconscious. Petey. He insists his name is Buddy. But what does he know? You know how he lies. Uh, one question before we get started. Is the cage in the same room as where we have Mickey, or are they two separate kind of rooms? It's one big room with a cage along one wall. And as mentioned, the cage is a big, elaborate wrought iron Victorian affair, um, which you could keep a bear in, right? Like it's it, it's a yeah, it, it's like a bear cage for having a bear in your elaborate, ridiculous mansion, because that's the sort of thing you'll find in Bailey Mina. Challenge accepted. Okay. Well, then. now you've gone and done it. <laughs> Uh, okay, then. Uh, so uh, I guess it's Ziva, myself, and Calder that are in the basement at this time. Uh, Nari and Arabit and Magma are still upstairs dealing with stuff that we really don't know is going on. Um, or maybe we do. It's that do we hear anything upstairs or are we just too engrossed down here? There's a lot of shuffling from the kitchen. And then there's a loud gong. And uh, then, like, Everything gets quiet. And a few minutes later, Nari and Arabet come back down into the basement. Anyways, uh, Betty, um, we're, we're having a quick discussion as to what to do next, Calder. How do you want to play this? Do we want to let them go? Is there anything else we can do with them? No, I, I think we should let them go. 
both of them? Well, what else would we do with them? We could play with the one that's in the cage. Now, now, Mr. Stitch. And maybe I'm not catching on to your tone. Yes, that's my name. What? And Petey is not a toy. What do you mean by play with? Well, I, I'm not quite entirely sure. I thought I would play with him a little bit and bat him around a bit, but uh, apparently we're going to let him go. Fine. If we see him on the street, remember, he's mine. And thank you, Mr. Stitch. Now, Mickey, we should get you out of that chair. And that's when from the top of the stairs comes a bottle of of like a jar of liquid with a flaming rag in it. So everybody roll initiative. Uh, 19 plus 4, so 23. 11. 24. 11, just like Ziva. I am well surprised with a 7. Arabic goes on 21. So Magma, you're first. Because Magma Nari Arabets and then uh, Ziva Stitch and then Calder. Right? Arabet rolled a 21. Uh, what, yes. Nari, what did you get? 23. Okay, so yeah, it would be Magma, Nari, Arabet, uh, Stitch, Ziva, Calder. Okay, Magma, you're up. Can I catch the flaming bottle? You can certainly try. Okay, would this be a deflect missiles, or how are you wanting to run this? I will let you do it as a deflect missile. If you you know how it works, if you beat the difficulty, you can return it. But I wouldn't recommend uh, it without pulling the wick out. Um, obviously, yes. Um, okay, so for de deflect missile, it is literally once you are hit with something, like once you are hit with a projectile, you can make the attempt to reduce the damage, and it's 1d10 uh, plus uh, your proficiency bonus and uh, your dexterity bonus and something else. Either way, um, I have a plus 10 to that, um, but I can roll it as just a straight damage reduction if you prefer. Why don't you, uh, so you're going to take the hit. You're throwing yourself in the, basically, you're going to throw yourself in the path of this missile. If you- uh, I am indeed. Uh, you're going to take the hit and then reduce the damage. So roll 1d10. Tell me what your total damage reduction is. 
Oh, hey, not bad. Uh, 18. You know what? You uh, catch the jar and uh, it looks like like when you grab it, that uh, it's highly flammable, right? So you launch up, grab this, like put yourself in the way of this thing, grab it and land. It sloshes and comes close to you and you see the... Uh, you see the vapors that are coming off the alcohol within um, start to slosh a bit as you land and start to ignite. But then you just kind of like pull yourself in the flames on the jar die. It is exactly what you needed. Well done. Yahoo. Um, so is this bottle still flaming or is it doused? The uh, rag that was stuck in the top is now on the floor being stamped out by your foot. And uh, your hand has cooled to a temperature where you can keep your hand on the top of the jar and smother the flames within it. Okay. Wow. Uh, she will turn around and sort of peer back up the stairs and go, well, that was incredibly rude. And I do still have movement, so fuck this. I'm going up the stairs. I don't know who's at the top of the stairs, but I'm really glad it's not me. Magma, will you allow me a moment's liberty, please? Yeah, sure thing. Okay, so going into narrator mode, um, Magma leaps up, grabs the grabs this concoction out of the air. Um, as she spins with it, she takes the rag out, throws it off, um, lands on top of this, or lands against the bars of these cage parkour style for just a second. Um, covering the jar with her hand, she smothers the flames within and springs off the cage in a leap. Like this takes a fraction of a second. It's taken me much longer to describe it than it, it, than it would be to have seen it. However, she springs towards the top of the stairs, winds up with the jar and pegs the halfling figure standing at the top of the stairs uh, and then lands on the stairs to finish her last couple of bounds to tower over this thing, this person, doused in, fl doused in flammable liquor, wreathed in her flaming corona. Uh, she'll, uh, you know, kind of pump out the heat just a little bit, not enough to catch the vapors, um, and look down at the, the little halfling and be like, are you certain you really want to pull an incredibly boneheaded maneuver? Your scrunchies about had it with this and uh, disintegrates to ash and your hair just completely explodes into its corona. That is my turn. Uh, oh, fuck. This isn't worth it. This isn't fucking worth it. I don't care. I'm not dying for, I'm not dying for Ben Miller. Well then, you can do me a huge favor. You can go downstairs like the good little boy that you are, and you can go and talk to Mickey. With that, there is this, the twang of a bowstring from behind you, Magma. Okie dokie. Let's have another one of them there, missile deflections, if you would. Certainly. Uh, that would be 16. Got it. 
As you turn around, you see that Ben is standing in the sitting room part in front of the hearth with one of those crank repeating crossbows. And uh, unfortunately, his second shot seems to have jammed the mechanism. But uh, the first one is winging towards you. So you hear the bowstring clank forward. There's that feeling on your neck. And then just go with the instinctual movement. You spin around or grab the bolt out of the air, whip it around, and uh, why don't you roll that attack, please? Unless you don't want to. Uh, No, I will spend the key point to throw it back. No need. Save your key point. It's on me. Oh, fantastic. Um, Since I suggested it, it shouldn't cost you anything. Fair enough. I will uh, throw it as a dart then. All right. So you grab the crossbow bolt out of the air, spin around, and roll your attack. Uh, That is a 19 total. You got him. Roll your damage. Now, I believe it behaves the same way as... Okay, so that is a D6 plus my dexterity modifier, which is plus 5. So 9 points of damage. Good one. You uh, nail him right in the eye. Whack! His head snaps back. He tumbles backwards over the end table. The next two shots of his his crank repeating crossbow go high, and you're probably going to have to dig them out of the woodwork of the manor, but uh, at least they don't go into you. He tumbles ass over tits and uh, goes down on the other side of the table. So that would be two attacks so far, correct? Correct. And how much of my movement speed have I used? I have 40. There was uh, 20 to get to the 20 to catch the there was 20 to catch the bomb. Uh, another we'll say 15 to get up the stairs. You still have five feet left. And how far away is Ben from me? About 15 feet. Oh, fantastic. I will spend a key point for Flurry of Blows so that I can have the extra the extra attack. And I will do a Radiant Sunbolt. Fucking beautiful. So you follow up this. So, so he doesn't just go over like a ball of shit with a crossbow bolt in his eye, but a crossbow bolt in his eye and a fire bolt in the stomach. Roll that attack. Uh, 17. Okay, and damage? Uh, Where is it here? Uh, That is D6 plus 5 radiant. Uh, So 10 total. Narrating this again. So, Magma, the crossbow bolt spins around. The crossbow bolt wings wings towards you through the air. You spin around and grab it out of the air. It's graceful as a poem. Winging it around, you loose it at Ben, who stands behind you with a hand-cranked repeating crossbow. It takes him high in his left eye. As his head snaps back that way, your next motion is with your other hand, a firebolt, which catches him high in his uh, on his pectoral on the other side. He wings around the other side and falls back into the fireplace. And that is the end of Ben Miller.
Wow. So I guess I run up the stairs ready to lay waste to some fools and just sort of like, oh, okay. Uh, In the fireplace and everything. Wow. Well done. Oh, literally. Nari, Nari, you have never seen anybody move that fast in your life. She was standing beside you one minute and then she was at the top of the stairs and everything was on fire. And then she just surged into the next room and when you get there she's just crackling away like her hair's all out and waving around in the unseen wind that it always does but uh like she's she's just sitting there with her hair crackling away like a campfire uh with a dead rat in the or with a dead wear rat lying on the logs in the hearth are we out of combat yes uh calder will come running upstairs and he'll Survey the scene, and he'll see say Mag- <clears throat> he'll see Magma standing there. Magma, are you or um, <clears throat> uh, Magma? I uh, I trust you were not injured. Hardly. Splendid. I guess we cannot say the same for our friend in the fireplace. Well done. Well done. I, I do apologize for the smell of burnt rat as she literally does an about face on her heels to look at the other halfling that is probably a quivering puddle soaked in alcohol. She doesn't move towards him, but she gets brighter and is like, I think you need to go downstairs and talk to Mickey. You're not going to have much of a chance to do that because when you turn to look at that halfling, Mickey Burley is kneeling on his chest and punching his head into the door jam with uh, tough invectives with everything. You son of a bitch. Like you smack, son, boom, up, boom. And before that gets too graphic for anybody, Mickey just beats the ever-loving fuck out of him because it hurts him, but it doesn't damage him. It's fucking savage. But but Nick Mickey finishes, stands up, and even as he stands up, his bloody knuckles are mending. And uh, the guy that he's just laid a, it would have been a fatal beating on, stands up and straightens his nose. He's like, yeah, you're right, Mick. I'm sorry. I I, I made a wrong decision. It's not, it wasn't worth it. Can you ever forgive me? And Mickey goes, no. Now fuck off. And lets him go. Magma sort of glances over towards the hearth fire and then back over at Mickey and says, well, I do apologize for the issue with Ben. There's a certain question of leadership which has been solved as of that, so I guess I owe you a great deal of uh, thanks, Miss Magma. Much appreciated. Don't thank me just yet. We have to find your girl first, or... I can't speak for, of course, anyone else, but I feel personally responsible, of course, for what happened, so I will help, at the very least, to look for her. And then I'll get my hands on Willem alone and have a word with me, Da. Is that a deal? She looks at Calder, looks Calder at Nari, nods. Yep. Um, nods, and looks down to... Uh, um, down to Mickey and goes, then we are in agreement, sir. 
Well, Michael, I think things are going quite well since uh, we became friends. I'd much rather be your friend than your enemy, Mr. Collar. Make no mistake of that. Oh, and before I forget, uh, I owe you for the extra cask of beer. Hey, hey, no fucking worries on that, Mr. Hulu. I'll, I'll see to it that it's complimentary. I'm sure we can afford it. Oh, how splendid. Ziva's like cleaning up the body. Well, with a whisper and a couple of profane words that are like just so unpleasant to hear, right? Do you want to narrate that as you get him up out of the fire, Ziva? Yeah, she'll kind of. Um, let me see what I have for spells. Well, I mean, if you guys wanted, I could like put him to some use. I do wonder, Miss Ziva, if you may be able to ask our dearly departed Ben if he may know where Mickey's girl is. Uh, that's a good idea. So uh, she'll, between the unseen servants and the little bit of assistance from her mage hand, she'll get the body out and onto a claw. She will uh, kneel beside it uh, where the head is. Uh, she pulls on some gloves and uh, sort of clears the space and makes sure that the... Uh, the skull can move and she will cast uh, speak with dead. So she will uh, sort of light a, a small stick, pull a little bit of incense out of her, uh, one of her pockets and light it. Uh, she sort of waves it over the body a few times and, says a few words and uh, the corpse will begin to animate. All right, so his eyes are, his, his one eye is full of uh, crossbow bolt and the other one is kind of burnt badly, but the lid snaps open and the, that whole ruined side of his face is like, you know, it's all burnt a little bit charred and at least blistered and red at any means right like he was freshly dead so right not so burnable but uh he's got some bad burns he opens his eye his one good eye which is you know a little cooked and he's like ah, ah oh oh hi you're like dead and we have some really important questions for you. What was the, sorry, what was the name of the woman again? It's Daisy, actually. Oh, Daisy. Do you know, we need to find Daisy. Do you know where she is? 
Uh, you know, the Mickey was hoping she'd come in on a boat any day now. He's been getting soft. We're gonna have to get rid of him soon, sure. I'll make sure everybody, you know, everybody can hear this. She's supposed to come in on a boat, he said? So said she was supposed to come in on a boat any day now. Which boat? Does it have a name? You were there for that, Ziva. That was down at the docks. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. But she didn't come in on that boat. Yep, she did. She was there. You uh Force choked her boyfriend. And, yes. Uh, when he took, when everybody took their eyes off her, she disappeared. Okay. Trying to hide and run away. Oh, okay. So he hasn't seen her since. He didn't know that she'd come in. Okay. Okay. So, like, what else should I ask him? Ask him who else thinks that Mickey has been getting soft. Okay. Uh, my boys, we only took Mickey on because he is a flash bastard, see? All kinds of money and the power to give. My boys are all old school, we're right, see? We take what we need from the streets and the sewers. We're the Littleton boys. We're not no posh brewery brats. Nobody gonna born with a silver keg in our eyes. Fuck Mickey Burley. He's our bankroll and that's it. Ugh. This petty jealousy is like so ugly. Okay. So like most of them. And that's when the corpse sits up and grabs you by the front of your dress. It's like, not all of us was born in a brewery, see? Not all, some of us was born in Littleton or a sewer. You don't know. Look at you. Look at your fancy fucking clothes, you. You used to get to breathe. You get to hold on to me. You fucking people. All of you. You think you're so much better than us, don't you? And that's when his hand, like, just completely abandons him, right? Because he's <laughs> dead. Let's not forget. And he's only allowed to talk to you through the power of the spell. So the force of this spirit to push through your necromantic safeguards and get a hand on your dress, that hate was considerable. And she actually looks impressed. Touch it. it kind of washes through you as the contact is made between you. You can feel it out to the tips of your ears and like, you know, right down your spine, this fucking overwhelming hate of you and everybody like you. This fucking envy from the poor, you know? Huh. Is how do you fucking rate? And the thing is, you know exactly what that feels like because that was your entire life before your brother came home from law school with his new job. Oh, she knows. She's not going to show it. 
she's going to uh she mostly she's just really impressed that this spirit is so powerful and she'll be like okay i think that's enough for you there buddy bye and there's this whole like hateful sort of whispering in the background in the ether it kind of scrabbles around on the inside of your skulls and uh you know that you can just see that this hateful fucking wretched spirit just wants to use its good hand and choke you but it can't because the body's failing it and it just the light goes out in its one eye and finally just goes back to being a limp burnt halfling corpse okay so that was lovely um magma looks at ziva and says are you all right darling yeah it's like grody but whatever normally they don't like move around like that sounds like he had a particular hate on for well basically anyone who's got money she looks kind of over at mickey for a moment shrugs and looks over at nari and ziva says well if it's none of his boys that yanked her it's somebody else We'll see if I can't maybe put some ears on the street to see if we can't find her. Do you think perhaps she's just hiding? Or lost? Well, hopefully. Yeah, she like ran off, so maybe she was just hiding. Or like, maybe, I don't know, like places she usually hangs out. There are no places that she normally hangs out. She's new to this city. She's in the docks. So she's got to be around there somewhere, right? ODM, what is the likelihood that she was snatched from um, basically in the streets by the dude she saw at the docks that basically got her into the mines? Well, Magma, I'm really glad you asked. That seems a likely spot to go ask because you... Ask me for that scene, if you'll recall. I did indeed. She sort of narrows her eyes in the corona of her... <laughs> um, her the, the corona of her hair, which is super long, by the way, but is also flailing out. It, it kind of calmed down a little bit, but it flares again. And her her solar tattoos are just flickering madly she goes i think i may have an idea of where your daisy is i may need to go underground again burley and his boys have already gone off right like mickey and his boys went got back into the wagon and uh and to all intents and purposes it seemed like they were going to go finish the delivery route She uh, looks over at Nari uh, and Ziva and Calder. Well, she looks at all of them and says, I'm not going to tell you to not come with me if you wish to. That is completely of your discretion. However, because we are waiting for word back from the Burley and Took folk, it may be beneficial for you, Mr. Calder, or you, Mr. Hulu, to stay here. One of the two of you is because you are the point of contact. 
agrees, I shall remain. That said, and she audibly cracks her knuckles single-handedly, like without having to put them both into her hand, like to do it. It's literally, she, her fingers tense and begin to crack and pop. She, you know, pops her neck and the audible crack is there. And the intensity of absolute loathing and hatred, almost very similar to what Ben was, was exhibiting or the spirit of Ben was exhibiting. She goes, good. I have somebody's ass to kick and I'd rather you not think less of me if you were to see it, Mr. Calder. Uh, you know what? Uh, Calder actually doesn't quite know what to say. He just kind of looks at Magma and nods. Before we all begin to run off, um, shall one of us go talk to Mr. Thrasher? Or are we skipping ahead too much? Or do you want to finish this? I'll take care of that, says Arabet, and uh, leaks off into the darkness. All right, then, uh, Maggie, lead the way. If you'll excuse me a moment, and she bounds, of course, up the stairs again, three at a time, goes into her room. You can hear a little bit of shuffling and rummaging about. She comes back again with another scrunchie, and it looks like she is trying very hard to wrangle and wrestle her hair back into some sort of semblance of civility, and it's a losing battle. <laughs> when we're going to wrap the scene with uh, Magma coming down the stairs trying to tie back a campfire. We open our next scene on a late twilight, you know, like in summer, how it takes until about 10 o'clock at night, sometimes later, depending on your latitude, to get dark at night, like to get truly dark. Yeah, all the street lights are on. Yeah, you need a flashlight to see around the backyard. But if you look up in the sky towards the west, there's still light in the sky. It's that sort of really pale pink and gray and violets and orange that's still left of the sunset just as the last light's leaving the sky and the, the whole the curtain of the stars is starting to come out. The rings are plainly visible. It is a beautiful clear night over Bailey Mina, which is rare, but you are back up the hill a bit out towards the hills, the hill country and the mines therein. The place that we see is a long, low bunkhouse. And it's got like a well-kept yard and a cherry facade and a nice dooryard. And it looks really comfortable. And it is magma because you know you've spent, you've spent the night here. This is where they take you until the train comes to take you away to the mines. And while you're here, the food is good. I mean, the kitchen here is great. 
and the uh, the beds are comfy and the louse free and they have showers and you know you really can't beat it and they tell you this is what the mines are like right they don't tell you about the gangs that sneak around at night and how a woman has to sleep with one eye open because there's not many down there and how little girls like daisy probably wouldn't last a week it's only one day though and you know the train doesn't come till three days if she's anywhere she's going to be here and so as you and mr stitch walk across the dooryard stitch lurk leaks off into the shadows to keep a keen golden eye on the surroundings in case there are any lookouts but you stride across the dooryard plain as the fire that you are you open up the main door and the camera focus or sorry the camera focuses tightly you're standing in front of the main door gathering your breath and we can see the soldar flare and her tattoos brighten and the corona of her hair brighten magma takes a third breath a fourth breath a fifth breath three to seven and with the seventh breath she holds it for a moment there is a stillness a complete and total peace and a oneness that radiates like a quiet and then she opens the door the door closes behind her it holds for a long moment and then the door opens again magma has daisy clutched in her arms tucked up like a she's only about the size of a of an eight-year-old child so the girl clings to magma's chest Magma's knuckles are bleeding and with her one hand, the girl sits on the crook of her elbow and with that hand, Magma binds her bleeding knuckles. She walks out of the barracks and across the way, Stitch leaks and Stitch lurks out to join her and in a moment, all three of them are in a cab. The scene fades out. The next scene fades into a well-appointed waiting room. Um, it's paneled in various, you know, decent woods. There's oak, there's maple. There's a bunch of portraits painted of uh, various halfling gentlemen, three of them, in fact. Um, the youngest of these appears to be about 50 years old at the time it was painted, and it says Emberly Senior, President and Brewmaster. In this room, there are bench seats and a low table with a bunch of current magazines. On these benches sits Calder, paging through a broadsheet that he brought with him. Um, on the bench next to him sits his bag. And uh, he sits with his ankles crossed in that way that he seems to favor. So after a little bit of time, you've checked your watch a few times. It happens to be in perfect sync with the clock on the wall. You've read the news of the day, and uh, there's a click, and the door swings gently and slightly open. I'll, I'll put my uh, paper down and take a look. The door's kind of ajar to the office, so you stand up and go in. Um, there's a great big desk, like a Irish-sized desk, in this office, which also contains like a couch and a little sitting area, um, which is vastly scaled down. All of the furniture in here is halfling size. 
This is because the obvious halfling proprietor sitting behind this desk and looking ridiculous doing it, smoking a large cigar. Um, his chair is turned back to you. Like there's no elbow sticking out over it. Everything is big. He left it here. That's just how it came with the factory. So in front of him is this big panoramic picture window with a beautiful view of the fjord. And as you come in, the chair rotates for dramatic effect. And you see a halfling in his late 60s, so early adulthood, really. Um, turns around, he's smoking a cigar and with a snicker. He goes, Mr. Calder, it's nice to meet you. I'm, uh, well, you know who I am. Please come in, have a seat. Do you like whiskey, sir? Mr. Burley Sr., very pleased to make your acquaintance. And yes, I, I have a fondness for the old dram. Allow me to then allow me to pour you what I call Bailey Mina Do. It's uh, our latest. I think you'll really enjoy it. We've uh, enough pleasantries, though, right? You're a man of business. I've uh, seen your shop over in Queensbridge, is it? Yes, Queensbridge, Calder's Curios. I think my wife bought me. Um, some kind of levitating carpet from there for dead winter a few years ago. It was an amusing thing. I, I don't know what the hell I did with it, but, uh, you know, that sort of thing. Yes, yes. All manner of the finest curiosities. It's interesting that a fellow like yourself, then, a legitimate businessman, should find himself involved in dealings such as these. But as my sons explained to me, uh, there's a bad element all around, eh? Yes, it's, uh, as you know, I've recently made the acquaintance of your son, and I believe that there's uh, a unique opportunity uh, for us to work together for the betterment of each of our um, Let's say parties. What do you propose, Mr. Calder? Well, it is my understanding that your son, being young and somewhat rash, had both fallen into, let's say, the wrong element and had a surprising lack of judgment regarding his acquaintance, Willa. Ah, right. Willem alone. She's a bad element. Her and Ben Miller, they should... Anyway, do you know anything of our society then, Mr. Calder? Have you uh, poked your nose in far enough to know what sort of people Miss Miller, or sorry, Miss Malone and young Master Miller are? Indeed I do. And furthermore... I've had the unfortunate uh, uh, circumstance to witness the handiwork. Uh, you no doubt are familiar with Mr. Thrasher. We have a nodding acquaintance. Anybody who does business... <coughs> Excuse me one second. We have a nodding acquaintance. Anyone who does business in Bailey Mina knows about the Thrasher of Copperpenny Row? Among his many excellent qualities is a certain desire to protect those under his care 
And unfortunately, that protection has been violated by Willa. Were you aware of this? This is the first this is the first that's been brought to my attention. I certainly know that if someone under your care came to harm, that you would most certainly address it in a way that was satisfactory to you and your people. That is why I'm here. This is the problem that Mr. Thrasher faces. He has a dead girl, a dead goblin girl, who did nothing except have the misfortune of meeting Willem alone. This is an unfortunate, uh, an unfortunate mistake and could have happened to anybody. Now, I understand suddenly, Mr. Caller, based on your reputation for being able to get, well, just about anything. Let's not kid ourselves. We are both men of business here, as is Mr. Thrasher. So if the cost of peace is Miss Willem alone, then I have no problem with that. I mean, she's under our protection, obviously. She's just a regular gal. But is there more to this story that I don't know? I don't get it. She's a bad gal, but Ben knows he can't marry her. No, Ben cannot marry someone of his own kind. And trust me, Ben proposed to her. Very interesting. I believe... Mr. Burley Sr., there's a conversation that you would need to have with Mr. Burley Jr. Right. I'll be, uh, I'll be about that this evening before supper. Thank you very much, Mr. Calder. Um, having delivered Daisy as promptly as you did, uh, you have our great thanks. And, uh, of course... The Burley family personally owes you a debt. Now, being as how you've already intimated that you are acquainted with Mr. Trasher, I would really prefer to not owe him a debt, if you know what I mean. Oh, I most certainly do. Now, Mr. Thrasher has asked myself and my companions to resolve this issue with, so to speak, the rats. Now, I believe there is only one rat who needs to pay this price. And I will do my utmost to ensure that Mr. Thrasher sees it the same way. And what do we owe you for this kind of favor, Mr. Collar? I told your son that we should be friends, and I was sincere in that. I do not know. I'm not here to demand a price. I'm here. I'm here to start a friendship. There are big things afoot in Belimina. Men like us, we need friends. 
Good point, Mr. Calder. Miss Malone will be delivered to the address of your choice at the hour of your choosing. Uh, give us a day. Excellent. Um, Calder takes out a piece of paper and uh, writes down the uh, address of Thresher's restaurant because I want him to see halflings bring this girl. All right. So, um, yeah, Arabet has set up the meeting and, uh, Sorry. Just, just as we wrap up the scene with Burley. So right. I hand it over and I say, um, this is the address. I'm certain you're familiar with it. Let us say 8 PM tomorrow. That's sufficient time. I can have her there. Excellent. Then Calder walks out. Before he leaves, he turns and he says, Oh, and so that you are perfectly clear, the person to thank for Daisy is Magma. And then I leave. The scene now opens on a room in Littleton where Willem alone lies crying on her bed. She's got her pillow over her eyes and her body is just racked with sobs. She's crying inconsolably and there's a knock on the door and she doesn't answer it and presently an older halfling woman comes in. There's a resemblance now that we've seen Willa from various angles. This is obviously her mom. Her mom comes in respectful of Willa's grieving, sits down on her bed, puts her hand on her sobbing daughter's shoulder and says, I'm sorry, Willa. I, I truly am sorry. The funeral is this morning. We... We, we have to go. Come on now, it's time to get yourself up. And Willie's just not in any shape for it, right? Like she can't get up and put her pretty dress on, but her mom helps her and gets her bathed. And there's a sort of a quick cut pastiche of Willa in the tub with her mother washing her back and, you know, and then putting her dress on and, Willa's still miserable, and finally her mum saying, All right, Willa, well, I've got to do your make we've got to do your makeup, love, so take a bowl to this, it'll fortify your nerves. And giving her a, a bolt of whiskey, and Willa nails it back right away and sits for a minute and makes a grimacing face at it. She goes, Well, what was it not, ma? And Willa's mom says, well, darling, it's just some herbs. It'll steady, it'll steady your nerves. All will be well. We, we must go. Go put your face on. 
And so Willa Malone goes and paints her face on in her pretty black dress and draws the veil down over her eyes and goes out with the rest of the halflings of Littleton to march to the churchyard where, although there is no deacon in residence, people still insist on burying their dead. And now that the humans have moved from this part of town, well, let's just say you don't need to go as deep or as long to bury a halfling. And so we all stand around an open grave and Willa weeps openly as Ben's casket. Closed, of course, is lowered into the ground. Willa weeps and turns to Mickey Burley, who puts his arm around her. And next to Mickey is Daisy, who wears a black dress, and all of the halflings of the Burley and Took Brewery and the people of Littleton crowd around this, well, this young man's grave. And it's raining, and the, the camera pulls up. And then the next thing you see, it's at the wake. And this is the bent elbow on Gangrel Street. And it's a popular spot for halflings to hang out. It's a it's an old human size bar, but it's uh, been cut into levels because it has 15 foot ceilings. And so the place is kind of a, a maze of booths and tables and, you know, billiards rooms and stuff like that. But it's great and the halflings love it. And there's a there's a local band and they're they're playing a a lively reel about how the boys from the North Shore, the drinkers and carousers, the like you've never seen. And everybody seems to be having a good old time at Ben's wake. And now they've laid him in his grave. And, you know, Willa is just, she's doing well now. Her, her makeup hasn't run. And she's been sticking by Mickey and Despero and Daisy. And everybody's coming to offer their condolences. And, well, Willa has been drinking like a champ and she stands up to go to the ladies. She stumbles a bit. And so Daisy takes her by the elbow and helps her off to the ladies. And then when that's all finished, we come out into the hall. Of course, the camera cuts when they go into the loo. Let's not be rude. But when they come out of the loo, Willa has completely fallen to bits and she's, she's crying all over Daisy. Daisy's well, come on then love. It's time we took you home. I'd go I'd go tell Mick it's time to take you where we need you, where you need to be. Um, you just wait here. And she sets her on a, like just, just a little bench by the door. And Willa buries her face in her hands. And then her veil has been lost a while ago. And her wild black hair is flying all over the place. And she buries her face in her hands and cries for the death of her Ben. And presently... Mickey Burley comes out and he sees her weeping and he stops for a minute and squares his shoulders and takes a breath and sets his buck teeth and he walks over and he says, all right, Willa, let's uh, let's get you taken care of, huh? I, just, I don't know what I'll do without him, Mick. It's, it was my whole my whole life. He was my man, you see, and I don't know what I, I just love him so much. And what can I do without him? Oh, it's all right, Willa. It's all right, Willa. Willa, come with me. And he loads her into the back of a halfling-sized handsome, pulled by two decent-sized pigs. And it rattles off through the misty streets of Bailey Mina. We cut the scene from there to where Arabet waits, shooting the breeze with Bugbear Joe. 
You remember Bugbear Joe, don't you bet? Joe, 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 how's things? Oh, I can't complain. Bet, how you been? Limber, limber. Good to see. Good to see. You sneak like a bugbear, they say. I try my best. Well, I'll have to try you on that sometime, big guy. Now, it's kind of amusing for a bugbear to be calling you big guy because bugbears are anywhere from six and a half to seven feet tall and probably 30 inches across the shoulders to start. Um, they're great big, long-limbed, long-leggedy things that don't go bump in the night for some reason. They are the sneakiest of the goblins, even though they are the biggest. And, uh, you know, so they take it as a point of personal pride when they say, you sneak like a bugbear, but uh, it might be a little backhanded when he calls you big guy. Anyway, you and Joe shoot the shit for a few minutes, and uh, presently a carriage rattles up, drawn by two pigs. So then I told him I was going to stick the knife sideways up his ass. What do you think of that one? Huh? Good one. You should have seen his face, Bet. He nearly shit himself. One second. I got to get this. It seems that they're on time. Indeed they are. Uh, Joe steps off uh, when you wave him off. And uh, you open the carriage, and sure enough, Mickey Burley helps Willem Malone out of the carriage. And uh, you notice that she's got a muff over her hands uh, and a black dress. And she reeks of whiskey and a little bit of hemlock. What's with the hemlock, Mickey? Well, we don't need her changing on you and taking them cuffs off, do we, Mr. Arabet, was it? That's, that's right. That would be good for us. I take it that concludes our portion of the business then, sir. Yes, Mickey. Thank you. Well... I can't say I like it, but I will wish you a very good evening, Mr. Arabet, and I hope our paths don't cross again anytime soon. I apologize for the bother. I apologize for the hassle. Oh, no hassle, sir, I assure you. This is much easier than the alternative. Arabet carefully picks up the halfling girl and carries her into the waiting establishment. Okay, so as per normal, like this time the restaurant is closed. Um, the wait staff are all, you know, priming the tables for tomorrow and everything like that. But uh, tonight, uh, Cerulean's loot has... Uh, 
closed early for a special function. And uh, lo and behold, you usher that special function in, you know, like she's a football under one arm. Right across the elegant dining room with the commanding view of the harbor, um, the through the kitchen, through a freezer, down a rickety elevator, and into Thrasher's subterranean lair. Down a hallway, and into a room which has been thomically sanitized, where you find the Hulu kids. You're standing there in the doorway, which is all bound in iron and inset with eldritch runes, uh, with the black-clad Miss Willem alone. Are we ready? Oh, yeah. Here's, uh, let me get the door. Arabet uh, looks around the room. Is there a chair? I need you to make a wisdom save, Arabet. Uh, straight up 15. All right. Uh, no fucking way, man. You are not stepping in this room. There's too much bad fucking hoodoo in here. You can fucking feel it. It raises every hair on the back of your neck and makes the backs of your palms itch. You should take the girl. Okay. If she opens the door sort of gently pulls her in. What you see is a black-haired halfling woman in her early 20s with a black dress on, a conservative black dress that buttons up. There is no cleavage. It buttons right up to her chin. Uh, she has the remnants of some roses arrayed in her hair, as well as some pins and bits of gossamer veil-like material which you might have assumed was uh, a funerary veil. Uh, Ziva, you just see her in funerary dress number six. Uh, it's about five years ago as for when the cut became fashionable and uh, now it's about every sixth dress you see in the parlor. Um, anyway, she's Super got basic. The, she, she, she's got the smeared makeup and uh, heaving shoulders of a whaler and she holds her hands in a muff like you know the penitent widow so all of these archetypes are clicking into your mind as you fathom how to deal with her over to you hey you're looking like you've had a pretty rough night my fucking boyfriend is dead. They yeah. burned him and they burned him in a fucking fire. Can you believe it? That's like awful. There's, wait, come here, sit here. And she'll pull a little handkerchief. She, you know, help her to the chair. Um, pull out a little handkerchief. And I'm not uh, fucking going in there. Are you crazy? Help it. It's fine. Are those blood burns in the floor? Fuck you, I'm not moving in there. 
Uh, oh, here. I'll drop a have... suggestion on her. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to like, hand her a handkerchief to, like, you know, wipe her. So as Ziva reaches out with the handkerchief, Nari's had about enough of this bullshit. And with a great big verdant flash that just fills the room, there's this whole sense of encroaching thorn, vi thorny vines wrapping around every bit of flesh on everybody in the room for just a split second. But Willa, it doesn't seem to, it doesn't seem to fade off her. And she looks at Nari and sees that uh, how beautiful and terrible he is. And in one moment, she loves him and despairs. Do go ahead, Nari. Come in and sit down. She can do else but resist. She takes the offered handkerchief, enraptured at once with this most beautiful fae presence in the room. Um, Siva, if he wasn't your brother, you wouldn't know who he was. She's kind of giving him like a raised eyebrow. Like there was no casting there. There was no words of power. There was no gathering. There was no bunching up of the thumb. There was no intonations. There were there are no resonances. He just fucking did that. How okay. I gotta ask you about that later. Like there it wasn't even magic. He just made it happen. It just he just warped that the shit just warped. I, I don't... How did you do that? Okay. Arabit shuts the door. And stays in the hall. I don't know what everybody's so freaked out about. Whatever. I have an idea. But... Anyways, on to the ritual. Okay, whatever. Let's do this ritual. Presently, Thrasher comes to join Arabet in the hallway. Looks through the porthole door in the steel, the, the porthole window in the steel door, which goes on one of those great big vault-style wheel locks, which he then locks closed from the hall. Um, notable Hulus, there's no handle on the inside. <laughs> oh, my. Um... Also behind the door, there is uh, there appears to be a valve control. Wonder what that's for. Anyway, probably nothing you should worry about. Well, no, you can't even see it anyway. It's out in the hallway. But Arabet, you notice that there is a that there appears to be some kind of water valve control behind the door to that room. What a curious place to put that. And Thrasher just closes the door and locks it and spins it closed. And turns to you for a minute. Big hobgoblin smile. We go back inside the room. Do you guys want to narrate this ritual or shall I? Um, yeah, you can, you can go ahead. Any preferences, Eric? I would, I would need no, any you, you, about it. So. Yeah, no, go ahead. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's not my spell. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'm helping, but 
Okay, so the ritual begins as with a gesture, Nari with his fey magnificence raises his hand and drops it. And seven candles at the points of this heptagram light up. Every single rune that you've spent hours painstakingly inking in the fresh blood of a cow killed today all over this tiled floor. There can't be any breaks, you see, and the tiles made that really hard. And so the work was painstaking. It was backbreaking. There was a lot of scrubbing to do beforehand and then painting the runes on to keep the floor wet. Uh, until you figured out the actual combination of cantrips, you had to go back and start it a couple of times. Such painstaking effort. And Nari, I mean... Great for Nari. He seems a fairly diligent sort, but his calligraphy is terrible. So he also doesn't seem to have any sort of uh, concept of the poetry of the pen. You and he have a few good arguments during this inking process, but as he does this and lights the candles, you intone notes of this spell. And the great, horrible thomic resonances in the room just clench and sway and drift and then suddenly bunch up in one room as of a knot, a muscle spasming in the middle of, a, of somebody's back. You know, like one of those ones that'll just fucking paralyze you and put you on the floor. You know, you pull a, ba a muscle in your back, man, you are down and flat. So... That is what happens to all of the magic in the room. It concentrates right into Willem alone. And all of the candles, although they're burning, the light just seems to be just draining away into the, into the air. It just gets dimmer and dimmer and dimmer as Ziva's voice builds in pitch and timbre and tenor until finally there is a shivering. The air itself just shivers with every note that she speaks. Nari, you keep your will on these candles, which is fortunate, because as you dig deep and keep them lit, because, you know, like the not only is the light draining out, the heat is draining out. And Willa, you see that Willa is choked under it. Like, she just starts choking and, and hacking and spinning. and Like, you know, she stiffens up, and it looks like she's having some sort of fit, and foam comes out of her mouth. And her front teeth lengthen in a like a stripe of fur follows her cheekbone up around her halfling ear, which you see watch start to shift toward the top and back of her head as her head goes from being humanoid shape to slightly more oval, and then there's a snap, and she looks at you and in some kind of propane halfling dialect, she's like and then she just like relaxes and and quilts and breathes out and there's a rattle in her chest and then there's silence Ziva finishes the paragraph she's chanting but the candles glow softly. 
and you know the words just echo off the tiled walls and floor of the room Willa lay slumped in a sturdy chair that you've bolted to the floor in the middle of the heptagram with the seven candles and you know Nari it's not so hard for you to uh, keep the candles lit anymore um but Willa doesn't seem to be breathing. Well, I'll go up and check closer. Roll insight. <laughs> Natural one. <laughs> dead <laughs> she's fucking dead do you still have inspiration Eric I don't know maybe I don't remember you spending it so I would think that you do you want me to give her another <laughs> I think you might want to unless you want to save that natural one I mean I know you love your ones as much as your 20s I re-rolled and I got a 14 breathing perception okay there's a 20 but not a natural one she sees she moved slightly is she breathing or is just settling as muscles relax very strange Ziva's voice is kind of trailing off now. Ziva, I need you to make a perception check. Okay, oh no. That's a six. Plus one. Really Seven. We're the, we're the two worst people to have perception checks. <laughs> She looks dead, but you didn't see her. That's weird. Like, she looks dead. She's not nah. moving or anything, but normally you catch these things, right? You see the, you see the cord snap. Were you just too into your magic, or what is going on here? So, your voice trails off, and the, uh, the magic holds for a brief, tenuous moment. Mary's leaning over her, and he looks over at you. And that's when Willa bolts up out of the chair and takes a bite at him with her like big long rodent teeth and she like snaps and she's like Nari stands back and now Nari I need you to make a constitution save. Uh, 15. Okay Ziva, why don't you roll an arcana check? Okay. Well, that dice is nicer to me. 13 plus 8. Okay, so as Willa snaps out with her teeth at you, and Nari, you take, you take a couple of stumbling steps back, 
The spell has completely died on Ziva's lips. The magic holds tenuous for a second. And just as it begins to break, this black fog comes erupting out of, you know, it just comes erupting out of Willa's mouth and pours in a pillar towards your face. And, you know, you've been grilled by some hard judges before, man. You are kind of hard to flap. So you set your whole, you set your heels down and basically in the ancient tongue of the dreaming, tell it that it shall not pass here. It bounces <laughs> off of you and echoes to and ricochets off towards your sister, who gets her hands up at the last minute and begins speaking the spell again. The entity pours into a basketball-sized globe of inky black smoke, which holds in the air between the three of you. Ziva, you uh Think back, and thanks to your eidetic memory, well, your, your superior intellect, you remember exactly where you were. You back up half a stanza and carry on with the rest of the refrain for this break curse spell. And as you continue to chant, the globe of smoke gets smaller and smaller and smaller until it's about the size of a pea, whereupon it falls to the ground. That's just the size, a black globe, the size of a child's marble. And just rattles around on the tiled floor. Willa breathes out her last. The lights, well, let's just say those candles are fucked. And the gas lights aren't working anymore. So the chamber's in darkness. Which doesn't really affect either of you two too badly. Because with all the light pouring in through the porthole door. Like, uh, you can see just fine. It's all black and white. And. Ziva's kind of sweaty now, and her hands are shaking a bit, and you can see that she's heightened in some way. Um, Ziva, you could probably do with a man right about now, or a woman, or, you know, both, or whatever your preference is. Because goddamn, good catch. That rush, that magic lights you right up, you know what I mean? Failing that, a couple of dozen beers or wine, whatever. Holy shit, what a catch. That magic, though, right? Wow. She's just pumped. Like, you can see she's got these sort of uh, platform boots. And she can sort of kind of rock back and forth on them. And, and she's sort of rocking back and forth on these boots, just bouncing with excitement. But not. she doesn't seem to know what to do with it. Yeah, like you could write a novel, or you know, have sex for the weekend, or write a, or run a marathon, or you know, make a canoe, or, or climb fucking Mount Everest, whatever, man, anything. Holy shit! Wow, you could sit down and eat, cook, and then eat a twelve-course meal, no question of it. I need to do something like right now, right now. I don't know what I need to do, but I need to do a thing. And then the magic kind of drains off as it's supposed to from this room. And uh, you both can have a temporary level of exhaustion that'll go away after your next short rest. Oh my God. That was like intense. After all the chanting is finished, Thrasher spins the 
the door handle and then opens the door. And you can see he and Arabette are standing out in the brightly lit hallway. I seriously need some coffee. So Ziva goes clopping off down the hallway to find herself some coffee upstairs. Um, Nari, what do you do? I'll step out of the room, um, nod to Thrasher and Arabet, and just see what's going to happen next. Thank you, Mr. Hulu. I think that would call us square for the, uh, the amount borrowed, wouldn't you agree? I think that's uh, a fair exchange. Very good. Well, um, enjoy and uh, remember, this is Bailey Mina. Be careful. Well, that went well for the Rapscallions. Thrasher, not so well for Willa, I don't think. Any thoughts, Corey, Sean? I, uh, that was a, that was a action-packed episode as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Just, uh, started, started running and didn't slow down. There's more next week. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I'm really looking forward to the to the next episode as well. But yeah, we got so much into, into this past episode. Uh, just looking at uh, looking back at our scene list, it's a uh, it's a lot, and uh, I, I hope you liked it as much as we did. And no spoilers for the upper episode coming forward either. We no, we're not going to oh, let anything on. go. No, but, well, uh, no. We, we, uh, we definitely won't spoil the uh, Mr. Stitch, Mr. Calder romance. No, certainly not. It's, it, it's, it's, it's budding. It's totally budding. I I, I feel it uh, in my subcockles. Have, uh, <laughs> have I mentioned that Calder's allergic to cats? That's okay. I'm allergic to uh, whatever the hell you are. <laughs> whatever he actually is, right? Anyway, so much, so much foreshadowing. So much foreshadowing. For this week's music and artist credits, our opening theme for the third episode in a row is the instrumental version of You Know I'm No Good, made famous by Amy Winehouse. This episode also contains excerpts from or presents the following songs in their entirety. Uh, those songs are El Matador by Los Fabulosos, Cadillacs, Hey Man, Nice Shot, well, the instrumental version anyway, by Filter. We heard those during the old caster battle upstairs. Uh, then we went into Someone's in the Kitchen with Dinah by the Nat King Cole Tree, Kung Fu by the Dirt Monster, Change Hero by the Heavy to back up Magma Scenes, Ben's Funeral contained Kitty by the Pogue, Willa's Exorcism was backed up by Nichols Fear Nightmares by Headstone, and uh, this closing theme is Red Right Hand by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. All the branding and logo work was done by Liz Evans Gist. This episode features. Oh, we should actually do some dramatis persona, shall we? Oh, that's a problem. Excuse me, can I have that piece of paper? No, the piece of paper. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, uh, uh, Nari Hulu, uh, who's. Uh, some sort of lawyer type is is pers uh, portrayed by an individual by the name of Eric Martin. Uh, Zila Hulu is played by the wondrous Shireen Mad Fishmonger. Erebet, my best friend, is played by Christopher Stoko. Megma, or Meggy as I call her, is played by my lovely wife, uh, Shauna Mulligan. 
I didn't know I was married. What does this mean? Uh, and Calder is played by the ultimate of them all, my butler, Sean Yeo. And I am Mr. Stitch, played by myself. No, I play by myself. Who is this Cory Mighty Fenris guy? This is bullshit. He's a, he's a heck of a guy, Stitch. You should give him a chance. Thanks a lot. He's one of my favorite people. Like, seriously, you're being a guy. Good dude. He doesn't like Craig too much, but uh, that's between them. That's foreshadowing. <laughs> you know what? Uh, we, uh, we're so excited with uh, the great response we're getting and uh, seeing all the downloads. We want to make sure that uh, you have a chance to uh, to share what you're thinking with us. Uh, we, you know what? We'd really love to hear. We'd really love to hear uh, what you think is going to happen next. Uh, and uh, you never know. Uh, might plant the seed for an idea with uh, with good old DM. Uh, send us your thoughts on uh, how we're doing on the show, uh, things you like, things that uh, you'd like to see go uh, different, uh, where you think the the story's heading, uh, or uh, a scene that you'd uh, you'd love to have uh, have happen on the show. You can email us at runelanders at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at cast the runes and uh you know we uh we love hearing from you guys we promise we'll read everything you send us uh we'll do our best to reply to as much of it as we can and uh we'd really love to share uh the things that uh, that you want to share with us uh, on the show so uh, looking forward to hearing from you thanks yeah absolutely tell us about who your favorite character is and why stitch is so great um you can find us on facebook as well Wait, 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 wait. I'm, I'm looking at our, I'm looking at our outro script here, and there's nothing about Stitch being great. I wrote it in. It's, it's, out, it's underneath. You see at the bottom, Stitch is great. I know it's in crayon. I don't know how you got crayon on the internet, but congratulations, Stitch. That's some magic. If anyone can figure out, it's Stitch. Probably. All right. Well, that's, uh, that's about it for this episode. Thanks for listening with us. I'm DM Runewise. Oh, I think he's asking for us. Uh, and I'm Corey, and this is... I'm Sean, and uh, thanks so much, guys. See you next episode. Until next. Yes, hello. Are you hungry? Well, holy smoke, come to Jerry's Bronze Tusk. Number one borscht, number one fish salad, number one beer, all of Bailamina. Why not come tonight? Bronze Tusk's Rusty Axe, 13 Fish Street, in the heart of the Copper Penny Road Entertainment District of Bailamina. This week, featuring two for one fish salad and Took's Blogger, the best beer in Bailamina. That's Bronze Tusk's Rusty Axe, Copper Penny Road, Bailamina.